What's happening, everybody? Welcome to episode 200 of Coffee Regular Podcast. Today, we got a very special treat. We got Robert Drysdale back in the house to talk about his new book, The Rise and Evolution of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, from Valley Tudo to Carlson Gracie to the democratization. This is an awesome book. Um, it delves into levels of jiu-jitsu history that you probably never heard of or read it's super well written it's just all kinds of fun and so is this interview uh thanks for listening hope you enjoy the episode no man all good so everything's good with you guys it's been a minute yeah yeah totally good yeah how are you good man just running around like crazy lots of work but can't complain man can't complain life is good that's cool Uh, can you hear us okay yeah, all good. Yes. Excellent. All right. Yeah, this is always like a, a scary part of everything, trying to get everything set up and connected and all that. Oh, man, it nev- it's never it's never simple. I've done a few podcasts, man. Like, it's there's always something. Like, the other day, I spent like 30 minutes just trying to get my video to work or my audio, whatever it was, and it was just crazy. Oh, but, uh, yeah, other than that, all good to go, man. Shocking. Uh, the very end of it. And I think it's the it, it's pretty much summarizes my argument in my own book. It's the, the commercialization of martial arts. You know, you go through these phases where you start with this hardcore group of guys, and then you gain the admiration of the world, right? Because of their their toughness and their Spartan outlook in the world. You know, like warriors, and we're out to train hard, and a belt is not given; it's earned. And you know, and then you get the whole world admiring that. Like everyone wants that. But then the whole world, like the masses come along, yeah, the democratization process, and they start like, look, I have all this money if I pay you, you know, and then all these hardcore guys, you know, don't apply to this new generation the same, the same standards they were held to when there was no money. So it's in a way money comes in and it corrupts the art in some ways and, and it sort of, you go full circle, you know, you sort of become what we used to criticize and. You know, and I think that's kind of what happened in jiu-jitsu. We've become more like other traditional martial arts. And I'm not saying that there are not legitimate taekwondo, you know, fighters out there. I know them. I know guys that are like excellent, outstanding athletes. But I don't know much about the history of taekwondo. But I'm willing to bet that if you dug, you know, prior to its popularization in the United States, I think the original members were very different from the average practitioner today. I know that was like that in jiu-jitsu. Like I was just in Australia and I was talking to these old school karate guys and they were telling me that karate back in the day, like, you know, these people get knocked out in practice. Like it was like borderline May minus the ground, yeah. you know, these guys were hardcore, you know, fighters, but, and then Elvis Presley came along and made it super popular. And, you know, <laughs> I compare Elvis to Joe Rogan in the, in the, Ed Rogan is our Elvis Presley, right? Like he just made it super popular, but that came, with so many good things, I'm able to make a comfortable living from jujitsu. But at the same time, watching my generation sort of like sell out and, you know, we, we be, we're sort of, you know, we're following that pattern, you know, like numbers, numbers, numbers. And, but, you know, the question that comes from that is at what cost? Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, when I started Taekwondo, it was, I'm the last generation of, uh, of like the hardcore guys that you take a long time to get a black belt kind of thing. And I mean, yeah, getting knocked out in practice was a normal, was the norm. Um, It was insane. 
but uh, I always blame the Olympics. I believe, you know what? Judo could probably say the same thing. You know, like the, the Olympics kind of demands that no one gets injured or less injuries at least. And but that waters down the product a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. If you hear Ronda Rousey talk about judo just in her time, you know, and she's Ronda's not even forty, and what judo's changed since she was in it to what now she freaks out. So. Now, that was always my thing. They, if you give your sport to the IOC, they kill it. Yeah, man. Um, and then that's I'm I'm too minds about jujitsu becoming Olympic, not just for that reason, but other reasons as well. I'm not convinced that it's better for the art, for its prestige. I I I'm the kind of guy that I lean towards the integrity and credibility of the art over numbers. I think that I mean we're a civilization so. Literally, there's nothing you. I mean, look at Kim Kardashian. How does she become famous? You know, like it's unbelievable. You know, we, we it's so deteriorated our culture. We've deteriorated so much over the last few. I mean, just in my own time, I'm 41, going on 42, and I remember like even in jujitsu, you get reprimanded for being that money hungry or just marketing yourself too much. So in my own life, I was able to witness this change, and it's. It's kind of scary because people say, well, if you make money at the end, that's the highest achievement in life. There's nothing greater than that. And we're like, well, there's some other things that I would consider more important. Not that money isn't important, but, you know, we've got to set a hierarchy of what are the values that we really care about, especially if we claim to be, you know, in love with jujitsu or whatever it is that, we, that we're fighting for. You know, like I'm sure there are plenty of musicians out there that listen to Taylor Swift and roll their eyes. It's like, man, this world's gone crazy. And I'm like, yeah, I can relate, you know, I, 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 we have the equivalent in jujitsu, you know, so there's all that, man. Like, I just, I don't, it's not like, you know, I hate sounding like an alarmist, like the world got a shit, but I kind of feel like it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's very stoic of you. Isn't every generation thinking the world's going to shit? Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, and, and I know that because like oh, my man. grandpa thought that, you know, my grandpa grew up in a cornfield. He grew up and he was working in a cornfield when he was eight years old. He got his first toy when he was 15 was a little rubber ball. So he was like that generation. Man. He's way tougher than I would ever be. And he thought I was pussy. Like, he's like, he looked at me and thought I was despicable. <laughs> you know? But, you know, I, I consider myself on Rambo compared to this, like some of these younger kids, you know, it's like, <laughs> my grandpa would be proud. And I don't know, I'm not sure what he would think of like, you know, some of the, the Gen Z kind that, you know, they're taught to cry in school for any reason, you know, but I don't know what to make of that, man, because I do feel there's a deterioration and I do feel there is such thing as a breaking point because there's only, because you can't say, oh, it's just change and you have to adapt to the change, but you have to acknowledge that at some point there's a difference between you know, Mozart and jazz and high quality music that has like intellect to it and music that, you know, it goes down to the lowest denominator of human behavior, which is like sex and violence. And that's what we're seeing in movies. The culture overall has gone down to like the most primal aspect of, of things like, you know, like sex and violence pretty much. And you've seen this in music, you see it in, in culture, movies, uh, art in general. And then, you know, you pick up a book, you know, you see, you read some of these guys and you're going, oh man, there's a higher standard here. So I do feel like the standards have gone down everywhere because people just want easy, easy, easy. And the easier it gets, I think that the less quality things tend to have when they're just so cheesy, 
You know, like I, I rarely, very rarely do I watch a blockbuster these days that I think, oh, that was a great movie. You know, I, I don't think they have any depth or they're not really well written. I think it's just, I think in general, the quality goes down as these things become more popular. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if, if you guys read the book, you've, I finished the book with that idea of a cycle in history, right? Which is, I think there's something to be said about that. You know, like when, when things become so diluted and so they lose so much value due to its popularization, at some point when they have no value, people just kind of spit it out and go next. And then they move on to the next thing that has value. Right. And I think that's kind of what happened to jujitsu. And I was like, if, if we continue on this track, I do worry that, you know, like being a jujitsu black belt is going to be a big deal 20, 30 years from now. Whereas when I started training, you said you're jujitsu black belt. Holy shit, man. That yeah. was a deal. It was like, it was like UFC champion and it was a black belt right below that. Like that was a fucking ranking. You know, it was, yeah. it was a very, very high standard. And the standard's gone down a lot. And, and then people always point out to the, Tainan Daupres of the world, the Rutolos, right? The, 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 the Mika Galvans, the ones who are truly excellent. I would argue that that's less than 0.1% of the community. And I would all, I'll go as far as arguing that the average blue and purple belt is a lot less skilled than the average blue and purple belt 20, 30 years ago. You know, because this, even though there's the, the pool of competitors and practitioners was much, much smaller, man, it meant something to get a blue belt meant something it was like it was a big deal you know and it's the popularization people come in with money they you know and i'm not saying i'm part of the solution i'm as much part of the problem as anyone else i'm just acknowledging the reality of our situation that we it's deteriorated a lot in 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 terms of quality yeah what do you think the remedy to that will be I don't think there is a remedy at this point because you can't money is one of the money, popularity, reputation, you know, recognition. They're amongst like the, the, the most, you know, primal of, of human wants, you know, I don't think you can stop that at that point. I think there are steps we can make to reverse that. Um, I have my own ideas as far as like changing the rule sets and establish some cultural norms. I think jujitsu is very vulnerable to the Internet at this point. You know, part four of my book, I call it the Internet Era because, you know, before we had these guys like Carlos and Helio Gracie in charge and then Carlson and Hollis Gracie. And then came the democratic period. Everyone's in charge. And now it's sort of like the Internet is just chaos. Mm-hmm. It's just like whoever manipulates the algorithm better is in charge. Like the narratives get spun left, right and center. There's no order. There's no up and down anymore. It's just like who's right and who's wrong. What's good? What's bad? Where are we going? What is jujitsu? People can't answer these questions. They don't agree. There's just, it's just like every man for himself. You know, there's no order. There's no cohesion. We're not an army. Now, we used to be an army in the 80s, early 90s. We were an army with a common, with common, like we, we there was some dispute in terms of leadership. You can see some of the cracks in jiu-jitsu already taking place in the 70s, 80s in Brazil. Um, but, you know, at, there was a common understanding of what we were doing, where we were going. Well, I, I, I think that there is, and it's growing, and it's unfortunate because, if everyone goes to go in their own direction, then, you know, what is jujitsu? I asked that question. Like, it's a question I can't answer decisively because you can't really, what you can't define jujitsu. You ask a hundred black belts, you're going to get a hundred different answers. Like you ask judo, it's, there's no question about it. Like people know exactly what judo, it's very clearly defined. doesn't mean it doesn't have problems of its own, but mm-hmm. it's clearly defined. And I think we have that identity problem. 
which is, I think Pedrero makes that makes a note about that. He says there's, that's the good and the bad news. It does make it very adaptable to the individual, but how, how much do you want to make it adaptable without sacrificing the credibility of the art? Because if we can all turn it into whatever we want it to be, well, then we're not really agreeing on what we're doing. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. Fine. Oh, yeah. You have some good questions about the book, though, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah, go yeah. for it, man. Let's get into <clears throat> it. Cool. Um, so, what was like your your main driving factor to start in on the second book? Um, you know what, man? I was I was always the first book was meant to really talk about the history. It was an article about the the, the produce producing of the documentary. And every time I start, I write a paragraph. I say, well, if I'm talking about this, I got to talk about that. Well, if I'm talking about this and that, I got to talk about that other thing. And next thing I'm like 40,000 words in, you know, and I'm like, yeah. I'm just in the book. And if I had <laughs> I can, you know, really make it into a book, you know, and I said, you know, and then all these things started coming into play. So I, I kind of like, it was what's supposed to be an article about the, the experience of making a documentary um, turned out to be like my thoughts on jujitsu up to a certain point and i sort of you know we talk about japanese immigration and the war with judo and the formation of brazilian jiu-jitsu and debunking some of the myths about jiu-jitsu about helio being a weakling and you know lean through watching and yada 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 and all that stuff that we know is not true mm-hmm. and uh, and then but like at some point this guy kept jumping out to me as was carlson gracie we didn't quite make it to him in the book you know accepting the um, the, the homage that I paid to him at the very end of the book, I had a picture with him. Turns out, like, oh man, this is. Carl has always been my favorite Gracie, but I was like, wait a second, man, this guy. And that's when I started thinking, like, this guy is the guy who fought the most out of the family by far. Mm-hmm. He trained the best champions in not only in the family itself, but in all of jujitsu. Till this day, there is no one that comes close to Carlson in terms of producing champions in, in MMA or jujitsu. And I'll, I'll pick that fight with anyone. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy died broke and he died of misery. This is unbelievable. And this is a tragedy. This is the guy who did it. And I'm not trying to take away from Carlos and Helio and all these other guys, you know, because people put it's very it's very easy to put Carlos and Helio and Hollis on a pedestal because they had the everyone who was responsible for telling this story had everything to gain to put those, you know, put those three on in in like very high places. And it's not that they don't earn uh, deserve that place. They certainly do. But man, no one did more than Carlson. But why is everyone yeah. silent about this guy? So like it starts like, man, like this guy. And, and then, you know, Pedro was a big influence on this too because if you read Shockey carefully, he's pretty much saying the same thing. He just says it in the less, he digs, he doesn't dig, to, he like leaves it there between the lines and walks on onto the next thing. But like, it, it's pretty much saying like no one has done more than for jujitsu than Carlson Gracie. This is the, this guy is the father of what we call Brazilian. As we practice it today, it was a practice that was born inside his gym, not at the Gracie Academy. The Gracie Academy taught private lessons, no group classes, no competition training, no sparring. Now this sounds this strikes people as unbelievable, but it's true. You can ask members of the Gracie family; they'll tell you the same thing. This is not controversial. It's just that people who were supposed to put two and two together, never did. And the people who knew the truth didn't want to speak it out because it harmed their own lineage. To give Carlson credit harmed their own lineage. Make sense? So they they go quiet, so they don't say anything. So much so that my favorite quote in the book is when I interview Carlson Gracie Jr. And he says, you know, when you ever see that movie, The Lion King? 
and everyone says the name Mufasa and everyone just trembles in fear. Well, that's the same with my dad. It's like, man, that's exactly it. Because when you say Carlson to these guys, they kind of look, look, kind of look away. They look up. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, they don't want to talk about it, man. Like it's it's very it's it's a very strange when you talk about these old school guys because they know the truth, but they don't want to say it because it it messes with all these egos and all these these hierarchies of who did what and who the most important person was and 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 it's like I I'm not I'm quick to acknowledge what Carl Carlos and Helio did. I think I do this in both books. I give them their due credit, mm-hmm. but I can't help but see what how neglected Carlson has been throughout this story. And what we call Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu could just as well be called Carlson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu because I'm convinced it was born inside his gym in cultural and technical terms. All right. Sure. Oh, just uh, him creating the room where the roosters fight each other. I pushed it alone, right? Yeah, but but that's that's the thing that people don't get, man. I think people think that people sell these these people like Jigoro Kano and Bruce Lee and Julio Gracie as some kind of genius sitting in his room thinking positions watching people train and going, this is what we're going to do today. And he's just like a genius. He creates this martial art. Anything who knows anything about fighting knows that's not how it happens. Mm-hmm. This, is what, this is what a coach does. A coach creates the environment. It's more of a social, political job than it is a technical one in reality. I've seen outstanding coaches. They were not good teachers. They were not good technicians. But they were great coaches because they knew how to keep a tight ship and they kept the room hot for years on end. That's a very important skill to have. Now, that environment, when it's created, it's just bound to create excellence. There's no around it. You throw a bunch of animals in a room going at it. You don't even need to teach them techniques after a while. They'll figure it out on their own. All you got to do is keep the room hot in check and make goes in check. Keep the fighting, the disputes, the politics. Just keep that in order, man, and the room is going to excel. That's a hard thing to do. Most people don't have those skills. You understand? But yeah. the idea that these guys are sitting around creating stuff – and no, no one's creating stuff from the, from from imagination, man. It's all practice. It's trial and error, right? And Carlson was intelligent enough, I think, he, be, either because of his experience in MMA, because his passion for competition, or I think it's just experience in fighting in general. He's like, man, if people want to get better, they have to go to war. So he created a war room. It's essentially the war room that everyone, every gym in the world has today. You put people to roll live. You can't just teach them, you know, standing techniques, self-defense techniques, and expect them to become good fighters. Like Carlson thought that I won't say it's BS, you know, but like as he as he moved into the, the the shoes of being a competent instructor, I think he realized more and more that it was not the fastest way to teach someone how to fight. Coordinated moves is kata. It's not, I mean, it might have a a, a historical slash cultural importance that I don't deny, but no one is going to become a, a competent fighter doing katas or, you know, positions and, you know, self-defense positions that without live action, you have to you have to learn how to teach your body how to react instinctively, you know, and, and, and according to the, the change in circumstances. And I think Carlson understood that, and that's why he created the environment for jiu-jitsu to evolve. Like, had it not been for that, there would have been no hoist, man. I don't see the UFC happening. I don't see I don't see any of this happening had it not been for Carlson putting his foot down, leaving the Gracie Academy, and I said, this is how we're gonna do it. This is how you get people to improve. Right. And that, you know, and, and whether people realize it or not, like everyone benefited from it. You see this in the Hoyler Gracie interview, it's crystal clear. Like they all trained. I mean, Helio was their father. That's who they 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 claimed their lineage to, but the guy who was training them, like Hoyler, Hicks, and Hoyce, all those guys was Hollis. 
I mean, it's crystal clear. And Hollis said, and remember, Hollis, when he went to Carlson's gym, he was not doing well. And I'm not going to throw names out there because people like, they would say it and then they would call me the next day and say, don't, don't put that in the book. They would just, <laughs> this happened, this happened on three occasions where people would reach out to me, like, oh, either because it was killing people when he went to Carlson's gym, he was doing well. He was not doing well. And we have testimonies of people, you know, saying the same thing. It's like, no, man. There's at least one testimony in the book there that actually there's two. They, they say that. They're just not too explicit about it, but he's not doing great. You know, it was after he started training with Carlson, he realized like, okay, this is how I need to train. And from that point onwards, he became the dominant guy that he was. But, you know, and this is obvious. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that doing self-defense private lessons and just like rolling around with like four people at the end of the day amongst your brothers and friends, you're going to become like a champion. You need a hot room full of killers, man. That's what's going to make you outstanding. And it's common sense today, but it wasn't, either wasn't common sense then, or it just wasn't the practice, whatever the case. But there was a major shift in jiu-jitsu after Carlson and Hollis, who became the ideal rival, right? Like Carlson needed someone to challenge him because you can't sell unless there's someone trying to beat you. You know, there's no way you can be the best version of yourself unless someone's pressuring you. to. So in all these regards, um, you know, I, I think Carlson played a, a very important role in, in, in crafting the brand of jiu-jitsu that we practice today. Um, the IBJJF with Carlos Gracie Jr., Marcelo CDM, Andre Fernandes, they played a very important role as well because, you know, without them, jiu-jitsu would not have the credibility we have today. We've got to remember, jiu-jitsu was a very messy landscape in the 90s. You guys read the book. I think that comes across pretty clear. It was yeah. K. You know, and, and, and I remember that. I mean, I started in 98. I would go to these tournaments, and you go ready for a fight. Every tournament, there was a fight breaking up. Like, you didn't go to compete, <laughs> to compete and to fight, you know? And then, <laughs> no, I'm not even joking here, man. Like, you went there, it was a good chance, there was a fight that was going to break out, and you had to you had to support your team, your friends. Like, it was common. And you had the referees eating pizza on the mats and people walking on the mats. Like, just like, I've seen, I'm not going to mention who, but I've seen members of the Gracie family literally jump over the fence to the, the – and just walk onto the mats mid-fight, change the score, and walk out. Unbelievable, man. It was unbelievable. You see stuff like this, and I'm going, I mean, at the time, it was normal, you know? And then IBJF comes in, and they said order. They said ranking, and you have to be a blue belt for two years. You have to be a purple belt for a year and a half. You have to have a certification because these are the things that give the martial art credibility so it doesn't fall in the hands of charlatans, you know? And their struggle to organize, I mean, Brazilians in general aren't, organized people and you are probably dealing with the least i mean the, the the worst demographic within brazilian society was like these 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 guys these hooligans they were there to fight man like there's a lot of good things about that era too don't get me wrong but there were there were hooligans and to tame those guys there's a chapter called taming the ogres you yeah. know it's probably my favorite chapter in the book and man it was i don't know how they did it but they did it so I, you know, I give them their due credit as well for for doing something truly incredible, in my opinion. It is a it is a cool cultural change. The '90s was everyone fighting everyone, and to be able to come out of that, like that was the part of the book where, um, who made Carlson head of security at at Worlds? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. That was Carlos Gracie <laughs> Jr. That's the IBJJF okay. president. Carlos yeah. Gracie Jr. is a brilliant, brilliant leader. You got to give the guy credit. He's yeah. a very shrewd politician, leader, very charismatic. He knows how to play the game, man. The guy would have done very well in politics. 
Okay. Um, but yeah, he saw Carlson as a guy. He's like, Carlson was, he was a feudal lord. He describes him as a feudal lord. I love that. And it's yeah. exactly what it was. These guys fight to be the shogun, but all they did was fight to fight one another. And, you know, he knew that to get Carlson off his back, he got to give the guy some responsibility. And who better than Carlson to head security? <laughs> it's like, oh man, I would have, I would have. I would have given my right hand to be there and watch Carlson be in security, man. That would have been some funny thing to watch, uh, you know, but it's, it's, it was brilliant. It's a brilliant move. And that's the kind of thing it was, I think it was a, it was a kind of move that jujitsu needed at the time for it to be where it's at today, you know, and, I, and people that started in the last 10, 15 years, take these things for granted because they didn't see what it was like before. So it's easy to like, Oh, that's how it's always been. It's like, no man, there is a massive change in the past 20 years. Some of it for the better, some of it for the worse. You know, people can decide on their own which, if it was overall good or bad. But you know, there's no one can dispute that it's changed. Oh, geez, I don't know what to ask. That was a good part. <laughs> but uh, all right, so competition-wise, um, like Mike and I are big fans of all the different rule sets. We like all the different organizations and the different takes, you know, ADCC versus Combat Juju versus, you know, Polaris, all this stuff. Yeah. And in the book, you kind of seem like you might not be. Well, it, here's what I worry about, man. And and, and I see, I, I get the part why people like, I'll, I'll give you a little background, like where this whole, well, some of my criticism started. Because the ADCC and the IBGGF, for all the rivalry that people might be like, projecting on the organizations now the truth is adcc would not be possible without ibjf first of all because the rule set is almost identical they copy mm -hmm. the rules it is an IBJF. second this is a point that a lot of people miss almost the entirety of adcc medalists from you know their first adcc till today gained their experience and their know-how inside the ibjf that's where their experience is coming from but you take that ibjf away and where the hell are these guys getting better so if the level at ACC has gone up, it's not because of a tournament that is thrown over two years. It is because of an ABJF they're in 130 tournaments a year, plus the, all, the, all the other organizations that are in one way or another are following the ABJF's uh, lead because they follow the belt system and they follow the rule system, more or less, with minor modifications. And that was all, you know, we were more or less agreeing on what we're doing. I think my beef is with submission only, and I, and I love a lot of people love submission only. So I hope I'm not offending anyone. So it's just try to bear with me here. It's like why I think it's been so destructive to jujitsu. Okay. The first problem with submission only is that um, it is very geared towards entertainment. And I remember when I would argue with people and like, but but this is man, this is not good. There's people aren't fighting for a position. Oh, but it's more fun to watch. I have my doubts if it's actually that much more fun because I've seen some really boring submission-only matches, like extremely boring. I have my doubts. Uh, I think it's a matter of opinion. I think maybe most people would think it is, which is fine. We can agree to disagree. Uh, but the bigger issue is entertainment is not important when it comes to a martial art. And this is what my biggest biggest disagreement with this this new wave of, you know, the, the American jiu-jitsu, the no-gi crowd, sell tickets. Well, if we're entertaining and may sell and making money, that's the highest achievement for a martial art. That's the most important thing. And I strongly disagree. I think the most important achievement is efficiency. And jiu-jitsu has lost that, that position to wrestling, for example, because I think we became so worried about, I mean, the rule sets don't help, but the, the drift away from the metric of reality of combat towards entertainment has done damage. 
you know, and, and sufficiently has that thing about it. Like it is really, oh, it's about entertainment. But it also moves fight away reality. Like you, you will never throw yourself on the ground in a fight. You will never do the home alone position where you put your hands to your chin and stay flat on your back and you don't turtle up. And it's to tactically that makes sense. You will never turtle up in a fight with no points or with no punches either. Because why would you? There's a reason why the, the, the rear naked choke, which is typically the most common submission in, in, in MMA and nogi, in submission only is virtually non-existent unless you start on the back. But in the normal time, right, you know, if you exclude the overtime, you barely, you barely see any rear naked chokes. And there's a reason for that. No one's going to turtle up to get back up or to prevent a sweep. Right. And then that doesn't expose the back. But if you watch the UFC, that's what people do every opportunity to have if they're underneath someone, even jujitsu mm -hmm. guys. So it makes it very unrealistic for you not to try to get back up, not to fight for position, to fall back for a footlock. You know, even at someone as Gary Tolan, who's probably one of the best in the world at attacking the legs. I mean, if he can get knocked out at attacking a heel hook, then anyone can. You know, so it's it's not it's not the wisest strategy in a fight, and I think most of MMA fighters would agree with me to sit back to your to attack a leg. I mean, there's I'm not saying I wouldn't learn it or that I wouldn't teach it, but I wouldn't prioritize that in a fight. And then some people could say, well, it's not a fight, Rob. It's a it's a sport. It's like okay, that's fine. That's one way of looking at it. But then we are becoming what we used to criticize, because what gave jujitsu credibility was precise that it held. The reality of combat as as the as the, as the guiding principle of his practice, right? And that was crystal clear in the seventies, eighties when these guys traps and kicks and gloves, and it was it was a preparation for a real fight. And that's what made Hoyce Gracie possible. Hoyce Gracie and the following generation would have never been possible without that generation of people who you know learn how to learn fight realistically. I don't think that. The current guys who are into the lapel trends, lapel, lapel, lapel. And I'm looking at that and I'm going, man, what the hell is this? It's bizarre when you think about it. From a martial arts perspective, it's bizarre that someone would open someone's gi jacket and use a lapel to trap their leg and hold them there for eight minutes. You know? And then the submission only is the same thing. It's just like this, this thing that just like laying flat on your back and don't move and wait for them to attack a leg and if you don't get it just get prepared for the overtime which is how most of these guys prepare anyway because it makes tactical sense to just get really good at the overtime so i don't i don't see a practice that approximates to a real fight i see a practice that in evolutionary terms is on a track that will distance you from the reality of combat and i think that's the point i'm trying to make throughout the book is that we should be moving towards reality not away from it because a martial arts credibility comes from that. That's the common denominator throughout history from ancient Greece till today. The one thing that doesn't go is what works in a real fight. That doesn't go anywhere. Everyone comes and goes. hundred years from now, we might be making fun of our generation. People, few people in the future will be making fun of us for like butt scooting and lapel guards and like home alone and all this stuff that was like <laughs> just, it's absurd in a fight. In a fight, these things are absolutely absurd. You would never do that in a fight, mm -hmm. you know. Like when, like when you watch like Huron Gracie fight Andre Galvan, it's like unbelievable that some of these guys would claim that it was a victory because Andre couldn't finish him. Man, right. the guy's like laying flat on his back with his hands to his jaw the whole time. Like you would know what happened in a fight if you did that. You get elbowed to death. That's what would happen, right? You know, and then and then these guys have the nerves to tell me that they're concerned with self defense and not sport. Like it's unbelievable that they would say that. But they say it's like, oh, he didn't tap him, so he really won. And, you know, self-defense jiu-jitsu beats sport jiu-jitsu. Now, look at how you're practicing, man. 
You would never do these things in a fight. So that's my beef. I, as is right now, the, 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 the lack of agreement divides the sport. That's the first problem. And mm -hmm. I think neither rule set has figured out an evolutionary track that is satisfying if the purpose of jiu-jitsu is to become the most efficient martial art in the world or maintain itself. I don't think it is anymore. I, I think wrestling is at this point. I think these guys passed jiu-jitsu a long time ago for obvious mm -hmm. reasons. And I, I don't like that, man. I was like, we started and we started this race, man. We invented this MMA. Well, how, how could we lose that pole position so easily without even right. putting on a fight? You know, but we did. We did. Like we, we don't jujitsu guys. There are not a lot. There are very few people coming out of the IBJJF leagues that are winning in the UFC. Conversely, if you look at NCAA circuit, you know, like if you look at half the UFC champions of the past 15 years, like half of them are probably from NCAA. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, what else do you need to know, man? Like it's, it's crystal clear the fact for themselves. Yeah. It's in the numbers. And, 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 and it hurts me to say this. I'm not saying it because I'm attacking you. It hurts me to say this, but it's the truth. Where do you think combat jujitsu lies with all that? Is that a reasonable fix or is it something that helps it? I mean, what do you think about that? It, it would be a solution. And I brought this up because it's something I've been thinking about a lot. And, and I do think that combat jujitsu would be a solution if it were a practice, but it's not a practice. It's a professional event aimed at ticket sales. So they're yeah. still looking at, and, and no one's practicing like that. There are no schools teaching combat jiu-jitsu. They're teaching jiu-jitsu, and these guys prepare, you know, for an event once or twice a year or whatever. So there's no evolutionary track. There could be. There could be, but there isn't. Um, and, and that's my, I mean, it, it could be. It has the potential to be a solution. Just like tweaking the rules for ADCC could be a solution. Or even wrestling itself. Like, to me, I think it's mind-boggling that wrestling got rid of I've heard from old school wrestlers that prior to wrestling getting into high schools, these guys all knew submissions because they cross, it, it, it overlap with, you know, catch wrestling a lot. And a lot mm -hmm. of these guys did both. And they knew Kimuras and they knew chokes and they knew footlocks. And that was up until like the 50s, wasn't it? But, you know, I believe that wrestling, you know, collegiate wrestling would not be a better sport, a more efficient martial art if they had submissions. Like, I don't think anyone mm -hmm. could argue against that. But, you know, so all these martial arts could be better if they made these adjustments, but I mean, they don't. And that's what I find surprised. Like, man, you guys have the power to do this. Like, but it's not something they seem to be cared, caring about. It's just like, am, am I making money? Am I selling tickets? It's like all these, these metrics that to me is like, they're not, they shouldn't be guiding our, our practice. The first question, are you winning fights? <laughs> I agree. Then we'll talk tickets. <laughs> I, I think ticket sales are great if they're a side effect. But right. when you make it the, the, the very metric of success, I think you're on the wrong track. It's of course sort of what happened to catch wrestling. Remember catch wrestling? Everything we do, catch wrestlers did it first. Now, you can get angry all you want, but catch wrestling goes way – it's much older than judo. In fact, there's very strong evidence that you know, Dutch re wrestling with you know, Dutch catch influenced judo in Japan. It was not like in other words, those submissions, those moves that became very you know popular in judo, they became known as judo moves. Like they 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 were brought to Japan from from Holland. There's some very strong evidence for that. It's a very interesting discussion. But I mean, catch wrestlers outdate everyone. Like they're much older than judo. They're much older than Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But what happened? They never they never really. I mean, they didn't grow. They could have gone. I mean, why didn't they? 
you know? And I think the one reason is because they're associated with fake fights, like pro wrestling has its origins in catch wrestling, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it, I'll give you another example. Like, I mean, Sambo could have done it. Combat Sambo is practically MMA. There's, when you think about it, why didn't Combat Sambo evolve into MMA? They were right there. Why didn't they take over the globe like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu did? Mm-hmm. And I think the answer is because it's a Soviet martial art. You can never sell a Soviet martial <laughs> art in the United States in the 70s. Now, how are you going to do that? The black, right. you know, in the 1980s. Exactly. Who the, Ronald Reagan supporting a Soviet martial art? Yeah, good luck with that. <laughs> you know, so that's, but like, if you think about it, if you watch them, it's like these guys were, they're far more, far closer to reality than we are as Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners. You know, so... At the end of the day, man, we had a lot of, we had Horion Gracie, we had the UFC, we have Joe Rogan and Keanu Reeves, and it seems like every celebrity on the planet is doing jiu-jitsu now, like can't even keep up. Every time I go on Instagram, there's a new celebrity wearing a gi and competing, like it's great. And, you know, but at the same time, it's like, I do feel like we're living that Elvis Presley plus karate moment, you know? Yeah. Is that, is that how you feel like when you see, you know, you log on to Instagram and you see like 10 people posting like... 10 move flows that would never actually work in a live role that they've probably never actually done. And it's yeah. just, they're putting it out for a thousand views. I see Kata, you know, Kata, karate, Kata. And I'm not trying to disrespect, right? I think Kata might have a role in maintaining the cultural practice. I think Roddy Ferguson made that point with me once we were talking judo created Kata to preserve the, the central canon. It's like, Oh, that's a mm-hmm. great idea. I think that's very valid. But to think that you're going to become a better fighter, Doing, I mean, I, I mean, see the concentration, the breathing. Sure, it might help in some ways, but you can't have a can. I mean, the Karate Kid versus Cobra Kai thing. We all know it's BS. Daniel <laughs> would have gotten killed in a real fight against the other guys that are hitting the bag. You know, like it, it's that's the reality. It's, you can't. It's fine to have these traditions as long as you remember that. That's not what's going to win you a fight. You understand? And you know, I, I see these moves and these complicated sequences, and I'm like, I'm arguing for simplicity. Because I go back to the UFC. I go back to Carlson Gracie, who I argue uh, anticipated much of the UFC with his own thinking. Like the man really is a precursor of MMA because he, him and his generation, not just him, they, they because of their fight experience, they brought the techniques down to the simple, most common denominator. And he sort of made jiu-jitsu like wrestling has made wrestling over the years or boxing has made boxing. Get rid of all the stuff that doesn't work. Let's stick to the stuff that works. It's a very objective, pragmatic approach to combat. Like, get rid of all these moves that don't work. And, you know, boxing, it's brought it down to, what, eight punches, nine punches? Wrestling, sure, they might have a bunch of takedowns, but let's be realistic. Which are the ones that are being used constantly over and over and over again? There's like four or five. You know, and I think Carlson had done something similar to jiu-jitsu. He had brought it down to the most efficient techniques, and let's focus on this. This is the evolutionary track we need, Right. Because when people say will think of evolution, they think variety of techniques. I'm not thinking in terms of variety. I'm throwing things of efficiency. Can we make these moves that are working all the time even more efficient? And I believe that had Carlson's view been the dominant view in jiu-jitsu, in time, we would all end up fighting like Khabib fights today, which is pretty much Carlson's vision evolved. It was punch to the clinch, to the takedown, ground and pound, maintain top position submission. That was the recipe, man. You know, it's just that a guy like Khabib just took it the next level because he had the wrestling that no one in Brazil had. But that was the vision for jiu-jitsu originally. That was, the, I mean, under Carlson's view, that's what we, this is how we fight, right? He anticipated all that. 
And I think had we remained on that evolutionary track, we would have maintained ourselves as the most dominant martial art in the world. But we lost that position because we started looking at, you know, all these other things. Oh, look how cool this! I'll, I'll give you an example. I teach class every day, man. This is unbelievable. If I honestly, brown belts can barely do an armbar from closed guard, and it's not my fault because I'm a business owner. You see, if I keep teaching basics, I get accused of being old school, and I'm watching. You can't do an armbar, and they don't want to learn an armbar because they've seen it. You see, so now they want to learn a trendy lapel move that they can't do anyway. I'm like, why? Why? I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't learn this, but this is this is the last thing. It's 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 you have to be really good at all this other stuff even before you start considering this the cool stuff, you know. But I'm watching guys letting themselves get taken down and get their guards passed so they can try a boogie choke. You know, and I'm and I'm watching all this crazy stuff. Like, man, these guys are way less efficient than jujitsu, and, and it was like 20 years ago. Because people want novelty. They don't want to learn. Because if I say, like a wrestler would do, we're going to do this move with live resistance 100 times today, my class will go from 30 people to 10 very quickly. Because I've tried that before. And then right. people don't want it. They, can't, they don't want it. They're not going to quit you. They're just going to go start going different classes. They're going to start because the second it gets too uncomfortable, people are going to always lean towards comfort, especially if there's an option. So the mistake is creating the option for comfort. See, whereas jujitsu classes used to be two to three hours long when I started, and then they got down to 90 minutes. Now they're down to one hour, and I know gyms that do 45 minutes. And which class do you think people are going to go to? Most people, at least. So if you get someone to work hard and, 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 and drill those takedowns and just go live resistance and intensity to really learn something, you're not going to be a very popular school. But if you go to a school where you show 50 trendy moves a day, and people just, whoa, look at all the, it's, it's, just, it's, it's the thing. The problem is entertainment, man. Like since when is entertainment metric of success in a martial art? Like I, I'll never understand that, man. That was my beef with the submission only guys from the beginning. It's like, who cares if it's fun to watch? I watched, when I want to laugh, I watched Dave Chappelle. If I want to see good TV, man, I got like a hundred TV shows I can watch to entertain myself. I got a hundred movies. If I want to watch, see a martial art, I want to see, I want to see efficiency. I want to see Hoyt's crazy. Why is Hoist Gracie the, 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 a changing moment in the history of martial art? Because he reminded the world of what worked and what didn't work. That's what he did. It was all these Bruce Lee and Van Damme fans like me going around going like, oh, this is how you fight. And Hoist was like, no, 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 no. Guys are wrong. This is how you fight. You understand? And he invented, he, they practically brought, they made him and made popular. That's what they did. And they and they created this beautiful thing called the UFC, where it's like the best lab the world has ever created. And the solution to all these problems, man. Because like someone is just like, Rob, why don't you just do MMA then? I'm like, man, that would be the solution. The problem is MMA has got awful culture. It's got no systems. It's got no hierarchy. Man, it's a mess. And I've been in that world. Fighters literally run the camps. I'm telling you, man, it is chaos. You, I, I've seen these, these coaches walk in the gym and they go to the fighters, what do you guys want to do today? There's, it's not structured like a wrestling program is. It, I mean, if it were, it'd be perfect if we had like, you know, like all these things set in place, but MMA doesn't do that. And it's got awful culture, man. Like I can, I, I don't even want to be around it most of the time. It's just, it's every man for himself, lots of attitude, lots of egos. It's incredibly selfish. MMA is an incredibly selfish culture, man, to the point where I, I have very little interest in being around. I have very few guys that I work with today, and I, I'm just more and more selective as time goes by because it's it's intrinsic to the culture to be selfish because of show business and money and all that. It just makes these guys that way. And 
so yeah, we end up with all these problems. I'm not saying I have solutions, but it's hard not to notice the problems. Okay, so with regards to the book, that's an interesting question of, you kind of started out, like you, that, that chunk where you say how you did jiu-jitsu, where you kind of wanted to be a pit boy, and then you found the real guys. It's like, you got steered into real stuff. Yeah. But like, how... Like, how do you, how do you think that's a small percentage of people that actually do that? To, to, to practice jujitsu with reality? Well, it's practice jujitsu with reality, but be interested in the reality. It's hard work. Yeah. It's, 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 here's the thing though, man. And this is the question that I can't answer. Okay. You can aim for the Spartan 300s who will die at the Thermopylae. Right, they'll die. They will give. They will on your with your shield or on it kind of thing. Like those guys, I will crawl off the mats every day if I have to. Right, or you can make something for the masses, and the masses are not going to pay that price. Right, so and it's kind of the question we have: where's that balance? I think these are extremes, right? I'm I'm proposing extremes here, but I mean, there's a balance. But I think the more we lean on one, the more we sacrifice the other. So if you want numbers, if you want growth, you're going to, especially in this day and age, where I, I personally think the children have never been more um, lazy, entitled. And like, and I'm watching this, man. I teach class. Like, I remember when I was a kid, there was like one or two uncoordinated chubby kids in the classroom. If you had a class of 40, maybe one or two were overweight and uncoordinated and their mom never let them play outside. They didn't know how to climb a tree, right? Like that guy. Today, it's opposite. There's like two or three that are coordinated and the rest of them are like a completely uncoordinated because they play way too many video games. They're indoors all the time. At least half of them are overweight. So it's it changed a lot, man. So you can't expect, you know, this view of these guys had a jiu-jitsu in the 80s or even a wrestling practice in a jiu-jitsu room today because it's not going to fly. From a business perspective, it's not going to fly. But at the same time, if, you know, if there's not some level of resistance then what used to be extremely valuable, like holding a jiu-jitsu black belt, is going to hold less and less value as time goes by. And I think it's kind of happening because the level in the, the average level has gone down a lot. <laughs> Definitely. It makes sense. Yeah. 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 So I guess like because we're living this moment of popularity and like everyone's like, yes, yes. And yes, it is good, but I'm not criticizing popularity, but you if if the popu- if the cost of popular loss of credibility, the loss of, of value, then pop you have to put like rethink like is it worth you know sacrificing the integrity and what made jiu-jitsu special simply because we're all making money from it? You know, it's like okay, good for me as an individual, right? For me as an individual, that's very good. But for jujitsu as an art, it's not good because 40, 50 years from now, who knows what we're gonna look like. I mean, I don't even want to think about it, man. But it's like it's it's not going to be the the just the Carlson Gracie taught inside his gym, like teaching these guys how to put their hands up and clinch. And that thing is going to be. I mean, it's already dead, you know. But imagine forty years from now, where we're going to be. I mean, okay, maybe we'll be in the Olympics, and it's like a, it's a, it's, it's going to be going to be on ESPN one day. Imagine that. But I mean, if well, it doesn't work in a fight, like to me, it's still less interesting. Uh, go on YouTube and look up Taekwondo training in two thousand and one. And then look up Taekwondo training now. And that's that's what it's going to be. It's yeah. really painful. I believe you. <laughs> I believe you because I, I have friends in Taekwondo and karate uh, from like older generations. And they, and they, and they're even judo guys too. 
like back in the day, like, you know, these guys trained with submission. They got rid of submission. They got rid of double leg. They got rid of single leg. Mm-hmm. And then Taekwondo, they got rid of the karate. They got rid of sparring. And, you know, now it's about breaking thin wood boards. And I'm like, okay, where are you going with this, man? When, when, what are you, at this point, is this even a martial art? Like, I don't know. What, what, what's martial about it? Or what is war like? What is reality like about you know, like just throwing punches in front of a mirror and no sparring. Oh, but it hurts to spar. Like, yeah, man, life is hurtful. You better toughen up. You're going to get hit, you know? And I think that's a, that was, I think, one lesson that martial arts ought to teach is that life is difficult. You're going to get hit. What are you going to do about it? Oh, it's going to hurt. And then what? What are you going to do? You're going to just yep. cry, call the principal. You're going to quit. What are you going to do? What are you going to rise to the occasion? No one's ever died from a late kick. All right, man, like you can late kick. Oh, but he's a kid and... <laughs> see, see, children are as strong or as we make them to be. You make you you raise your child to be weak; they're going to be weak. You raise them to be strong; they're going to be strong. But this this ethos of you know softness and political correctness and pity, the pity party, man, and like, dude, like it's got to stop. It's not helping. It's not helping, man. Like I'm watching these kids. I'm like, they, they cry all the time. I remember when I was a kid, I was crying. was like a, I mean, I'm not saying you shouldn't cry. Like, yeah, your mom dies, your dog dies, something terrible happens at home. You fucking cry. There's nothing wrong with that. You're human. But man, like some of these kids are crying for like the most, like, it's unbelievable the reasons why they cry. It's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Anything happens and they cry because they, they get a, t- it's like if we give them a trophy crying, it's like we have made with transforming victimhood and it's like some kind of glorious thing. And it's not, you know, and, 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 and this is, and, and jujitsu has fallen this like and the whole world is falling into this i'm going man this is not going well this is not where we want to go as a system not just forget martial arts as a society in general this is not the direction we want to be going How, like do you see i mean since jujitsu it's tough since it's so divide divisive now that like do you see that getting worse uh, it almost seems like oh just do jujitsu or do martial arts and that'll cure it all and that's not really the case like so obviously i think the quality of jujitsu and the quality of what you know, people are teaching is going to matter. Like, so it's, it's almost, I don't know. It's like the difference with SoundCloud rappers or like you rappers. And then like, obviously the best people in the world, it's like, you're going to find different people that you can go to. Like, yeah. Do you think that's as like you kind of said earlier, like the black belt is going to mean less and less over time. Yeah. So again, because I guess it's kind of just, Democratization, man, and I, I got the inspiration from from the book. I was I was reading this 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 book, and I mentioned at the very end of the book, it was Vico, right? Like, and he blamed democracy for leading into a moment of chaos. Mm-hmm. Because if you have no, if if we're all truly individualized and we don't have, you know, common, you know, cultural agreements, um, things that we believe in as a, as a republic, as a society, as a martial art, I think that, that guy unite us, the glue, right? If we don't have all these things, because we become so individualized and so selfish and so me, 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 then we become weaker as a whole, right? I think that jujitsu, by dividing and by having all these just it's already a fracture. It like, I mean, I know how many, I mean, even judo, as cohesive as it is, you have some in Brazilian jujitsu. They both came from judo. So it's not that they don't survive. Maybe in some ways it's good. I don't know. Maybe in the future, future would tell. Kind of bothers me. Maybe because I am a dying dinosaur here about to go extinct. And I'm <laughs> perfectly willing to concede that that's the case. And I'll go to my grave and I'll go to extinction with a smile on my face because I do think that, you know, the standards were higher in a lot of ways. And I, 
I don't feel any shame in like, you know, acknowledging that or, you know, it, it's, I mean, I've adapted too. like, I got rid of the gauntlet in my gym. You know, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I did that. My classes are an hour and a half. Some of them are one hour now. We're two sure. to three. So I, I've conceded in a lot of ways, but I don't think there's, there's a solution to this, man. If you're going to go popular, if you're going to, bring in grandma and you know five-year-olds and moms and you're going to bring these guys that that don't want to get they don't want to work hard if you bring in all demographics there's no way you can keep an intense practice and keep them in the gym you're gonna you're gonna win by numbers money right you're gonna increase the money you're gonna lower the quality you're gonna increase the quality you're gonna lower the money it, there's no i i don't see a way around that problem because people are not getting tougher i think they're getting softer in my opinion so as a result, I mean, I mean, the best I can do, man, is maybe try to be, make people aware of the problem. It's like, let's try to strike a balance. I think that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in a lot of ways has been remarkably resistant to the commercialization, thanks to the second and third generation, which is still leading Jiu-Jitsu. The second, third wave, right? We're still leading Jiu-Jitsu. I fear that once the fourth wave takes over, it's all over, man. It's going to go downhill. Because there was, I remember like maybe a few years ago when people are talking about promoting children to black belt, there are people doing that in jiu-jitsu. And the community rose up in anger. Everyone was like outraged, like, no, 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 no. And then yeah. there were people before IBJF, and people don't forget this, but I remember before IBJF stepped in and said, you have to be a blue belt for a minimum of two years. You have to be a purple belt for a minimum of a year and a half and so on. There were people getting promoted to black belt three years practice. So we were starting to go down that road where you can train six months and get a black belt, right? We were going down that road, the community resisted. And I think, I think it's because the second and third wave are still in charge of jiu-jitsu. My generation, the generation that preceded me, and they still have that, that ethos of, no, 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 not, not easy, harder, right? But my generation learned to balance that with like, well, I, I want to make more money too, so we're going to have to concede a little bit. Again, my concern is once the fourth generation's in, they're not going to care about anything because they never seen it. They never, they never lived that. The taparia, like the getting hit in practice, like forget it, just like money. Mm -hmm. and especially in a time, I think that money, maybe it's always been the case, I don't know, but I don't think money is the best, um, ex uh, it's, it's the best uh, metric really of a success in, in life or for a martial art. I think it is uh, something to consider. I like money too, but... Just because, you know, these guys are millionaires doesn't mean it's, that's what's best for the martial you know. But, that, but I think the fourth generation, because they're raised on listening to music that teaches them that money is the most important thing in life, that you should get rich or die trying. That's literally the message that we're sending children, right? You're watching guys like, I'm not going to mention names, but people in the community who don't stop bragging about how much money they make. And this is what success is. We, if we get on TV, we have more sponsors, everyone's going to be rich. And then the fourth wave, the kids that are coming along from this generation, they're watching all this and they're going, oh, that's supposed to be like, right? And then from that point onwards, if that's the most important thing, if you sacrifice things like, like you know, respecting previous generations or respecting group cohesion or abiding by cultural and, 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 and having values and teaching these things, or even just let's just keep our reality hard and grounded in reality of combat. I think that they're going to look in that and go, no way. Why that? This, that's not making me any money. It's going to make me less money. Forget it. And they're going to dilute the product even more because it's going to make it very. So next thing you know, I think that we might end up with people selling black belts online 
although we've seen that already. But I think that might be a thing, man. It's, you know, a few years from now, who knows? People buying black belts over the internet and getting a black belt after one year training, no need to spar, no need to roll live. That's too hard. Just learn the techniques and you're good to go, right? We've seen this before in other martial arts. It's happened to other martial arts. What makes you think it can't happen to jiu-jitsu? I, I think we're already on the way, man. I think it's irreversible. I mean, that the popularization brings these negative things with it. And I just don't see a way around that. Well, speaking to like how you talk about in your book cycles of things, I mean, ideally we're just at that point in the cycle. And at some point, like, you know, someone's in the fifth or sixth wave and they, they discover Hollis Gracie and Carlson. And they're like, whoa, that's how it used to be. Let's do that. And it comes and do you see that as a possibility or i mean i i end the books with the hopes that that's the case <laughs> that's my final thought in the yeah. book is like that's what i hope for <laughs> but maybe not carlson yeah. and hollis but maybe you know maybe there's a hoary on gracie growing up inside combat sambo in russia right now and you know and he's growing up in that environment with khabib grew up and he's a marketing genius and he's gonna find a way to do for sambo what horian did for brazilian jiu-jitsu who knows you know like but i think that the tendency is once things lose value people are going to start looking for things that are valuable and valuable things are necessarily hard things the easier they are, the less value they have it's like that girl you picked up with no work you know it was zero effort you don't i mean it's true guys tend to love value her less and there's that girl that made you chase you had to buy her flowers and you had to do like jump through all these hoops, got to meet her parents, all that. And you're it's a different kind of approach. You guys know what I'm talking about, man. Like everything that is difficult value, like your gift at a home has a value, but you built that home with your own hands from the ground up. They don't mean the same thing, man. There's different kinds of homes. The one that was given to you, like because you inherited it, and the other one that you built with your own hands. These are very different kinds of values. Right. So I think people when 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 things lose their value and everything is just gifted and if things become easier and easier and easier, people don't see value in it. They're gonna start looking elsewhere. And I think the history of martial arts tells this. I think Brazilian Jiu Jitsu came at exactly that time in, in the martial arts world where people, you know, it was Van Damme and Bruce Lee and Chuck Norris, and that's what people understood combat to be. And then Hoist Gracie comes along and blows everyone out of the water and he brings value. You see, this is there's value here. It's hard. It's difficult to get a BJJ black belt. It takes ten years, right? It takes hard works. So you can't do katas in front of a mirror. You have to spar, and you're gonna get choked out and armbarred. You're gonna be tired. It gave jujitsu value. If we lose that, and we are losing it, then we we're just going through the cycle. We're just going through the motions, right? I I, I to me this is. I mean, honestly, a lot of this isn't shocking, man. Like, I hate to give myself credit for what I didn't do. I'll, I don't mind giving myself credit for I, what I did dig up, but I don't want to give myself credit for I, the things that I didn't dig up. I mean, if you read Roberto Pedrera carefully, shocking and crazy, like, it's all there. Like, he's, he, you're seeing these cycles in martial arts, not just Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but, you know, it's, it's all there. And I think that's exactly what's happening. So, like, with this book... Uh, like, what was your writing process like? Like, how, like, did you have a system from the first one? Did you have like a little bit of like? Obviously, you had practice. You had better resources. Like, um, 
that differ from the first experience? It differed a lot, man. The first one came out very easily because it was basically just memories. If you read the first one carefully, it's just like a diary. It's just me, you know, describing my evolution as like as I discover this story. It's more like a travel diary. And I had a lot of help. I had an editor that had experience writing books and he helped me or did a really good job helping me organize it. Uh, the second one, I took the challenge on my own. <laughs> I had people wrote proofread the book for me and that was about it there's still some typos in there i keep getting messages with you know people sending me the typos that's and i've read that in the first book i would have read it like five times this second one i, I think i've read it like 15 times by now oh, man I, I typos, you know, it's unbelievable uh so it was, it was far more difficult than the first much much more difficult it was it was writing it took longer because I, I, when, I, when I originally started, I had a chapter on Carlson, a chapter on Hollis, and the chapter of jiu-jitsu in the 90s, the IBJJF and leading to the day. But I realized that, man, this is not a – it was going to be like a 100-page book. And it was like, man, there's no way. And then I started adding the, – and the interviews was like, oh, they had like 10 people. And then we just kept adding more and more people, I think. I don't even know how many people I interviewed for the second one, but it was, I think, at least 20. So I just, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and like, oh, I got to talk about this. I'm going to talk about that. There's a chapter where I, it's like, it's almost autobiographical. I talk about my own experience in Brazil. That chapter didn't exist. That chapter was a footnote. <laughs> that chapter, there was a chapter about the pit boys in Brazil, the pit, you know, the, 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 the hooligan movement in the nineties that, that saw jiu-jitsu means to, you know, assert itself, you know, socially. And I was part of that and like, oh, this is, you know, but I, I, it was a footnote about, yeah, I used to be one of these guys, but that footnote quickly grew into a chapter. It's like, okay, this is a whole chapter. So like little things like that that you don't expect are going to happen, you're planning for them, but they just, the book kind of takes a, takes a, a life of its own. It's very difficult to, because people always talk about writing an outline book. I think that's impossible, man. Like, how do you do that? I don't know how to do that. Because it's so organic. Like as I'm writing, I don't even know what I think or what I believe until I start writing. That's when you start really putting your ideas on trial. Because your your ideas throughout your day, if you think about it for less than 20 seconds or even for 20 minutes, they're not really put on trial. It's when you write them down that you go, you start seeing the holes in your own ideas and the problems, right? That's something about writing that does that. It's very actively engaging and thinking in a way that prevents you from getting distracted. So you're really going deep into your own ideas. And then you start going to have these other ideas and you keep going. It's like, next thing you know, man, you're 20, 30,000 words in. I'm like, oh man, I can keep going, right? So this book was was a lot more work because of that. I didn't know exactly what I was going to say or what I want. I had an idea, but it, it I had to, man, I, man, there's so many revisions in this book. This book took a year of active work writing, active, like every day. Mm -hmm. The first one I literally wrote it in like three weeks. And then there was like another two yeah. months of editing back and forth between me and my editor, which was a lot less work. But it was like three weeks of like, it was COVID time. So it was like me at home alone with nothing. So it was like me typing 10 hours a day kind of thing. Right. The second one was a lot more work. But I learned a lot. I think that, you know, if I ever write a third one, and I think I will, then it's going to come out a lot easier because I've made every mistake that you can possibly make when writing a book, I think. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's some more surprises. <laughs> If you bring out a third book, will Daniele Bellelli turn it into a minor at whatever university he's teaching oh, at? Oh, man, I don't think that's really hard, man. Uh, I, I, I would love to. I don't think there's much more to uh, that. Like, look, if you want to dig deep, man, I say this 
time. You got to read Shock and Pedreira. He, he's the historian who's done the heavy lifting. And Kairos did too. And Sehano and some other guys. They, they've done a lot of like the, the, the primary, going through the primary sources. Or I use them a lot. I've done some digging through the primary sources, but not a lot. But I don't think, unless they come out with something that is like, I don't think there's much more I can add to this story at this point, man. I, I don't know. Who knows? I, I, I do want to have ideas about writing books about the psychology of fighting and the psychology of coaching. Um, I, have, yeah, I think I have my ideas about what I think jujitsu or a martial art should look like. And I would like to write those down. Like all these criticisms that I'm making here with you guys, I, I want to write all that down one day. Cause it's like, this is why this doesn't work. It's like when I look at Muay Thai, I see problems with Muay Thai. It's like, man, this is betting. It's guided by betting. They're so worried about betting boxing too. betting. They made the ring so small. It turns the fight into these guys with these upright positions looking for the KO all the time. But man, that's good for the promoters. It's not good for the fighters. You know, you want space to move. That's how it is in the octagon. So you see these guys striking completely different in the UFC than you see in boxing and Muay Thai, right? It's stance changes, the hand changes, the combinations change. And, but everyone's still training Muay Thai and boxing. Like it's the same thing. It's like, it's completely different. It's a very different styles of striking, right? So little things like that, like I think that I could write chapters out of some of these critiques that I have and just like point out the things that I don't like about a number of martial arts, including jiu-jitsu. So that's one idea I have for writing a book. Um, and But like it's just time. I don't have time, man. It's just between life, kids, I really wish I had more free time. I'm just, I'm just spread so thin right now, man. It, it's hard. But uh, I, I, that's what I, if I had more time. That's what I would do. Very cool. Oh, maybe so. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, um, the documentary. Then you said it's actually going to be able to come out soon. Well, I've been saying soon for four years. So <laughs> don't take my fear. Yeah, yeah. I, I did have a legal issue with my previous team. Um, man, something yeah. happens with people. Man, everything starts with like this romantic, idealistic thing. We're going to do this. And then the, th the second you throw money in the middle of things, you're like, oh, oh, like everyone gets like, things change, man. And like, it is what it is, man. Like I, I, I'm the owner of the rights of the, for the movie. That's all the footage. It's my footage. That's what, it, that's what's important. I have a debt to the investor who's been very, very understanding and, and, you know, he's, he's a friend and, you know, it's more of a friendship kind of thing, but like I, I'm paying him back. Um, and then I, I have, I'm, the production has, has uh, started all over again. We had to start from scratch. Uh, we have a Brazilian crew that has worked for HBO before. They're very competent. Uh, they're not cheap at this point. It's costing me money. It's coming out of my own pockets to do this. But it's going to be a four-part docu-series. That's what we're aiming at, you know, four parts. Because we couldn't do this in an hour and a half. There's just no way. And, and any documentary longer than an hour is too long. So we're shooting for like four 30-minute episodes. And the plan is to sell it to some network like, you know, Netflix or Amazon or whoever's interested. Uh, I'm not even there yet. I'm just trying to get this finished. Out of hurdles, man. Like, dude, I am never doing this again. Like, I thought it was <laughs> There's no amount of money you can pay me to do this shit ever again. The amount of stress that I've gone the past five years over this. And I'm not making anything. That's the worst part. Like, I'm going to get rich with this. Oh, no, I'm losing money on this. Because once right. I'm done with this, at this point, it's costing me money. I'm going to have to pay the back. When I'm done paying him, I doubt there's anything left for me. So, mm -hmm. man, I this has been like a lot of a lot of my time, a lot of my energy, a lot of stress. And it's costing me money. I'm not going to make any. 
So would I do this again? Hell no. Never again. And I and I, I used to criticize, get angry at movies like these studios. You know, I remember they filmed Lord of the Rings. It took them like eight years to film Lord of the Rings or something. I can't remember. Like, how could it take so long? That's ridiculous. Get to work. Yeah. get to work people you know like productions of lord of the rings like you know and then i'm with my little tiny documentary infinitely smaller in scope and i can't do it in five you know? and, I, <laughs> and i totally see why there's way too many moving pieces man like i'm never touching this again if anyone listening is thinking about doing one man just lots of planning, bro lots of planning lots of contracts lots of like have everything planned out far in advance. Make sure you have some experienced people on your team with good intentions. But it's, it's going to be done. It's I, I gave the community my word. It's going to be done. I I don't if that's the last thing I do in my life. This is I'm going to do this. But it's just taking longer than expected. But it is back in production. So I don't want to give you a date. But the plan is to have it before the end of the year. But I, I'd hate to put you know promise that date because I've broken so many promises when it comes to deadlines. In my defense, none because of me. I've never missed one of my deadlines just because of relying on other people that are incapable of meeting their deadlines. Those, I don't take the blame. I cannot take the blame for being late on this. I refuse to take the blame. My only thing I could be blamed for is being too naive and too trusting. That I'll take the blame for. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. It's very, uh, very Carlson of you, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but it's. It's, you know, it's a bit upsetting over the years, but I like it. it it's going to get done, man. Like, I, I'm confident that it, it will get done in time. Huh. Well, hey, take your time. Whenever it comes out, we're excited about it. Um, <laughs> um, so, like, even with um, – did you have, like, any – obviously, you had tons of surprises and things like that, but even, like, with the stress and kind of stuff like that, did you – what kind of things surprised you or jumped out at you from the interviewing process? Mm, what, what came out like uh, uh, in the process of like, the interviews? I think yeah. it was the because I I, was, I had this question in the first book about the role of tapari of the, the role of like why did jujitsu not evolve faster? And you think about it like the techniques were practiced in the sixties, seventies, eighties in Brazil. They're fairly simple. You don't see a lot of, I mean, spider guards started appearing in the 80s already, but it was very slow. Man, like, why is this, like, why aren't these guys playing deep half guard? Like, why aren't these guys playing shin to shin? Why aren't these guys doing all these things that we do today that we know work in, a, in, in, in grappling? And that was, the question was, had the answer in it? Because I was thinking of grappling. These guys weren't thinking grappling. They were thinking fighting. So there's a reason why no one would set up shin to shin. And these guys were describing that to me. And so I was like, oh, no wonder these guys didn't do shin to shin guard. No wonder these guys didn't do deep half guard. You get smacked in the head. No one, no one's going to play yeah. a deep half guard. Someone's on top of you is hitting you in the ear. They're not going to do it. So they practice guard the way you would practice guard in MMA, concerned with strikes, right? Which was your original intention. And these, these, this, this, uh, see, it was never illegal to do these things. It was never in the rule set saying you couldn't do it. But there were what, the, what I call these cultural buffers where they would reprimand you in case you did. So there's a story of Hoyler playing, doing some move that wouldn't work in a fight, and Helio Gracie getting angry at him. See, it wasn't illegal. Helio Gracie himself was responsible for the rule set, even though years later he became a critic of the rule set that he created. But when he's seeing his son doing something that wouldn't work in a fight, he gets angry at him. 
right? And these, this is the same thing with Carlson and all these other guys. Like there was like a, there was there were reprimands in case you tried something that wasn't realistic. In the nineties, that got removed. And the nine from the nineties onwards, you didn't hear about, about that anymore because it's, it's if it works in competition, that's all we care about. And then it set jujitsu on this evolutionary course that is beautiful to watch in some ways, you know, but it's very unrealistic. Um, and that was a thing that I completely missed in the first one. Is like, oh man, like these guys didn't care about medals. I thought they didn't care about medals. They cared more about learning how to fight than they cared about medals and, and followers, right? Or prestige in general. Whereas a younger generation doesn't care about learning how to fight. They care about medals and prestige. So kind of that 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 right there set the tone for where the evolution was going to go moving forward. Because once you can't hit people in practice or smack them in the ear for doing something that wouldn't work in a fight, then why wouldn't you do it, right? So that was a big one. Sure. Um, and some other ones, man. Like just talking to these old timers, the importance of Carlson's gym. See, like I knew Carlson was a central figure, but I'm talking to these guys and they're describing the practice to me inside that gym. I'm like, that's how we practice today. I'm asking these guys about what about the Gracie Academy? Oh, they only did some private lessons, no group classes, just private lessons. And I'm like, wait a second here. You're telling me that the Gracie Academy, the original academy, these guys did not roll with each other. The students didn't roll. There were no group classes. Like, yeah, it was just private. It's private lessons only. And I'm like, and then Carlson was the guy who brought in the beach culture, right? The acai, the flip-flops, the showing up five-minute sleigh, <laughs> give everyone a hug. You know, oh, that's Carlson. That's, 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 that's the DJ culture is as defined as Carlson's personality as can be. It's it's and there's a reason why it's so welcoming and so charismatic and everyone wants to be part of it. It's so, such a, a a welcoming community because it was modeled after Carlson's personality. So these guys, he brings this completely different culture to the gym, right? Completely different from the Grace Academy. And he has these guys go at it live, go live rounds, boom, go war. And what do you think is going to happen when those guys competed against the guys from the Gracie Academy? They would win every single time, of course. So he was livid because as he saw, it's like, how could you train your students to defeat your own family? And Carlson would fire back, like, what kind of coach would I be if I told my student to lose to someone just because they were my cousin, which is a perfectly valid question. So the process of democratization really began with Carlson. Right? I mean, he's the one who started because he opened it up to people who wanted to train, but it was still very... Merit, it was still a meritocracy in the sense where everyone's welcome, but you got to meet the standard, which is something we don't do anymore. We lowered the standard. Carlson said, everyone is welcome, men, women, children, older, anyone. However, the standard's not lowered for anyone. You want to train here? You can, this is where the bar is. You have to survive amongst alliance. That's another, the democratization process from the 90s onwards changed that, right? Like that's when like, oh, let's bring everyone in. But to bring everyone in, we got to lower the standards. But that was definitely something that that, 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 that that struck me was the importance of his academy. And later with Hollis as his partner and rival, it's like, oh, no, man, those guys set in motion the entire – I mean, they, they trained the entire generation to colonize the world. You find a gym, man, and you – I mean, outside of like – there's very few gyms that trace their lineage directly to the Gracie Academy and that don't go through Carlson. Like we're talking less than one percent of the community, if I had to guess. They, you, you. I mean, even even the Hoyler, they had, they, they trained with Hollis, who picked up, who followed the model that Carlson created. You know, so really everyone, 
everyone. They, 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 the, the, the transformation Jiu-Jitsu went through took place inside Carlson's academy. And I know no one gives a guy It's unbelievable. And I don't think it's, I think if, the, if people ever do, it's going to be decades before people do it. You know, because, man, I, I, this just happened the other day. This is mind-boggling to me, man. It's like a cult. For some of these guys, it's it's like a cult, man. I'm telling you, I I, I don't I don't nothing about. I'm like borderline illiterate when it comes to the internet. But I someone suggested I should buy some ads for my book, so I decided to do that. Right, so I'm learning around with like I'm playing around with the Amazon ads and whatever, and I'm picking out these search terms. So I buy jujitsu, Brazilian jujitsu, Grace jujitsu, jujitsu book, right? Like some keywords that I think are gonna you know increase my sales. Right, okay. And then I learned something because I'm looking at the metrics. I'm looking at like what are the what, what which terms are bringing me most you know income, getting clicks, impressions, and buys, right? Now something very interesting happened. Like this kind of, I, I couldn't. I had to read it like ten times because I couldn't believe it. The term Gracie Jiu Jitsu is by far the one that gets me most clicks and impressions by far by a large margin. Okay, but it's the one that gets me least sales. So I'm actually losing. When I use the term Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, I am losing money. I lose money. I lost money on that keyword. Okay. Because I had it, it was a, it was a ratio of 64 to 1. I did the math. Out of 64 people who clicked on my book. Sir, coming with the word Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, one of them was buying. Conversely, the terms Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I was getting a lot less clicks, but I was getting a lot more buys. I think it was like 10 to 1 with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and like 12 to 1 with Jiu-Jitsu by itself. Right. So it was like I was getting a lot more clicks, a lot less clicks, but a lot buys. And I'm thinking to myself, this makes no sense. And then I realized, wait a second, they're clicking on it. They're searching Gracie Jiu Jitsu because they want to hear the same story over and over and over. They click on the book and then they read the synopsis of the book. They go, I'm not going to buy this. This is not what I want to hear. So they don't buy it. That, that's exactly what's happening. They click, they read it, they see what it's about. It's not about Helio, it's about Carlson. I'm not going to read it. I'm not going to support this. You see what's happening? It's not a coincidence, man. Yeah. A ratio of 64 to 1 and 11 to 1 is not a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. Nope. So it's like, okay, so you have these guys that they want to learn about jiu-jitsu history, but it has to be a repetition of what already heard. If it's something that challenges that in any way, shape, or form, then I'm not going to read it. There's one reviewer. This one is interesting, man. Like, he reviewed my first book, and he told me anti-Gracie. I was biased against the Gracies, right? And then in my second book, he reviewed it as well. And he called me biased towards Carlson Gracie. So I'm like, hmm? <laughs> it's the same person. <laughs> you can't call me anti-Gracie in one book. They call me biased towards Gracie in the next one. Like, and like the answer is obvious. I'm just not telling the narrative that he wanted to hear. You see, that's the issue. Yeah. It's not that I'm being pro or anti. It's just that I'm not seeing what he wants to hear. So you're talking about people. It's just like a cult. Like if you refuse to challenge your ideas, even if you're if the evidence is available and you're not even able to question the evidence, you just attack without even questioning the evidence with better evidence, right? Or something that contradicts the evidence or whatever. Then you're a part of a cult. And I, I think there's some of that going on too, man. It's I think that right there, man. I don't think you can ever beat that because once people get those firm beliefs and they're emotionally attached to them, forget it. It's like waste of arguing with them. So. I think Carlson may never get the recognition he deserves as really the the father of what we call Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I, I just don't see a way around that, man. 
I, I, I followed that the rule set. It's explicit. 1975, major shift in the rule set. I can't prove it, but I don't see how that did not have Carlson's hand in it. Because A, it's inspired by Bobby Tudo, and he, had, he was the most experienced Bobby Tudo fighter in the family by far. And B, in 1975, he's by far the leading force in jiu-jitsu in Brazil, by a large margin. In 1975, jiu-jitsu and Carlson Grace were practically synonymous. You know, so he was like winning these tournaments by like every division, like every single division was won by his guys. And he, he, had, a, he had a role in the federation too. We got to remember that. So the 1975 rules of that shift in the rules that pretty much came to define jiu-jitsu as, as it evolved towards where we're at today. Man, I just don't see a way around that, you know. But, you know, some people may disagree. Well, they should write a book, I guess. Huh? Um, <laughs> okay, so on a lighter note, um, one of my favorite chapters was sort of the creation of jiu-jitsu culture and the origin of acai. Like I literally read that and then I called Mike and was like, have you got to that point in the book yet? This is amazing. As that's kind of my favorite bit of jujitsu. That's what brought me to it. When I was looking, I was not, I was out of Taekwondo. I wasn't doing MMA, MMA anymore. I was looking for a place to train, something to do. I'd never done jujitsu and training with Mike here. Like the culture of it is so relaxed and inviting. And that's what drew me in. And I love to see the creation of that, that, my favorite part like what was it like to kind of find that out um man it's funny because I, I i suspected because i i grew up in brazil right i don't know if the listeners know i was raised in brazil and i had never heard of us i never heard of it no one's ever heard of us in brazil and it wasn't until <laughs> i think it was like a soap opera where like they had jiu-jitsu guys and they were always eating acai but jiu-jitsu was always associated with violence acai and pit bull dogs like that was associated. <laughs> you said jujitsu, you meant a cage, you meant blood, you meant chokes, you meant pit bull dogs and the acai fruit. And that was all, and they, it came out at the same time too. It's like the association with acai and jujitsu was from the beginning, right? We go to tournaments and we went to the tournament, half of the tournament, the other half like acai afterwards, like, oh, acai, you know? And it starts spreading all over the country like wildfire. But it was, always was associated with jiu-jitsu so i wondered if that was just a coincidence or if there was more to this story so ricardo azuri was the first one to say it and then carlos gracie jr later confirmed pretty much the exact same story there was this store in rio apparently it's still there it's called arataka and it's right next to carlson's and um and this guy used to bring all these products from the north and he would sell them there was this pilot from this you know, this defunct airline called Varig in Brazil was a big airline in the 70s and 80s. And he would fly to Rio like every other day or whatever. And he would bring acai with him and sell it to this guy in this little store. And once the guys from Hollis and all those guys got wind of it, that they had acai, uh, they would go and buy it all. They would buy the whole lot, you know, it was melted. You couldn't freeze things in those days. But they had the habit of, they knew of acai because Carlos and Helio and all those guys were from Pará where this fruit is from, you know, the Amazon. That's what they're from. And the fruit is extremely popular in the north of Brazil, although no one in the south of Brazil had even heard of it. I had never heard of it. And um, and they, they they start popularized because it's something they would do after practice. They didn't practice and go eat acai. And, and then someone opened a kiosk in Baja, right? And it was pretty much the jiu-jitsu guys. That they, those guys were their clientele. 
and then the surfers, you know, who was pretty much mixed with the jujitsu population at that time, they be, they got onto that site and they loved that site. Blew up the whole world from there, but it was popularized first in Brazil through Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I thought was super interesting. Uh, that was yeah, that was just cool. I was like, that's the story I wanted, and it actually happened, which was great. <laughs> but um. I don't know. I'm, I'm like running out of questions. Let's see. <laughs> yeah, guys, maybe maybe, maybe uh, one more. I gotta get going. So I haven't even eaten lunch, guys. But like maybe after this, we can wrap oh. it up. Um, yeah, man. Sure. If yeah, I had yeah, more yeah. time, I would. But I, dude, I have. I had a very light breakfast and us... no lunch. So. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. You've given us so much time. So yeah, we'll we'll wrap it up. Like one more. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's next for you, man? Like, you no more projects. What are you getting into? Um, I want to spend some more time on the school and the team. You know, I, I think I have to do that. Um, that's my, my next project is kind of like fixing some of the things that business-wise that I need to look into. Um, I got some projects for the future. I'm organizing some tournaments now too. So I got that to keep me busy as well. Uh, as soon as I get those things fixed up, which probably, I mean, maybe till the, by the end of the year, I'll be done. I plan on writing another book, um, probably the one on, I don't know which one is going to be easier to write. Like I want to write one about the psychology of coaching and psychology of fighting. I think there's a lot of things that, that aren't really, you know, explicit things that I've learned through my experience as, as fighting fighter as a coach. I think that would help both fighters and coaches. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it'd be absolute crap. I have no idea, but there's some things that I want to say that things that no one taught me, but I wish, I had been made aware of when I first started teaching or first started competing. I wish someone had set me down and told me, this is what you're walking into, you know, because I had to learn through trial and error. And I think most fighters do, but man, it's so much harder. If someone breaks it down, it's like, this is, it's like, it's kind of like being a kid, you know, like when you're a kid, your parents supposed to prepare you for life. This is what you're walking into, buddy. You know, that's, that's what, that's what good parenting is. And I feel like I never had that as a fighter, as a coach, it was always like, go, you know, all right. You know, and then like, you make all these mistakes along the way. So I, I would like to write about that and say, like, hopefully give people some advice on what to do and what not to do and you know, things like that. Cool. Well, that, that would be a, that's a good read. It is a needed read. Not a lot of fighters that write anything like that. So. Yeah. Well, hopefully, hopefully people like it. I don't know. It will probably be a short book, but again, I said the same thing about the first two, like, Oh, it's going to be a hundred pages long. It's like, no, <laughs> much more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Make it as long as you can. It'll be great. <laughs> what, what are some things really quick, like that you implement like into your program or into your gym that help you kind of preserve the, you know, kind of old ways or kind of just kind of keep it the way you think is, is proper. I tried. I tried. About yeah. a year ago, I sit down some of my best guys, like nine or ten of them, and I gave them this two-hour speech. And like out of those ten, maybe five of them survived. But basically, I was making them all puke in class every day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I too much. But like it, it was just I wanted to push them. Like, man, let's be champions. Let's do this. But yeah, like, yeah. The, I mean, that class originally started with thirty, really, and I was down to like four or five people in like a matter of like two months. Damn. Yeah, yeah, and then and that's the truth of it, man. Like it just it became a very unpopular class very quickly because it was, you know, I was making them shoot like you know fifty doubles a day, 
you know, each kind of thing. They were getting good at double leagues. I was showing. They're going to tournament. All of a sudden, they're these doubles. You know, like, oh, it's working. But it was it was like a boot camp, you know. And it's not. So it's 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 hard, man. Like you can't. I'm running a business at the same time, and I I don't consider myself to be mm-hmm. a greedy person. I'm not going to say I don't like money, but it's not why I'm alive, man. I don't live for money. I think that's a petty existence to be thinking about. Money sure. to have every day of your life. That's what you live for, man. Fuck, man. You might as well not be alive, man. Like, there's so many other things, you know, that mm-hmm. you, you want to. I mean, so many other things that you want to learn about and do and, and think about. It's not all about money, man. But you know, same day, same time, I I have a my rent is not cheap, you know, and I I've lost a lot of business over the years because of my ways. You know, if I were sure. if I had played the game better, as they say, from the beginning, I think I'd be a million right now, mm-hmm. you know. But I just never did. I would like sure. this is where the bar is, and, the, and over the years, not just as far as intensity, but just like putting up with people, like this this whole. I, I stand by the dynamic where, where I'm in charge. These are my math. You're a student. You're not in charge. And students will try to bully you into having the program their way because they're paying the paying customer. It's like the paying customer mentality is in conflict with the hierarchy of who's the master student. And I'm very old school like that. I think that what is best for the student is that he trusts coach and he follows coach's instruction. And if he doesn't trust coach, then he's got to find a new coach. But while you're in my gym, you're going to do things my way. And guess what, buddy? You're not special. Oh, but I'm on flow grappling, Rob. I'm special. No, you're not. But Rob, I have 50,000 <laughs> followers now. I don't care. I'm not special. But Rob, I won three big tournaments now. Can I please be special? No, buddy. You can't be special here, man. You're not special. I will treat you exactly. <laughs> exactly how I treat everyone else and exactly how I treat you from day one. No better, no worse. And most people can't handle that because as they move up the ranks, what do they want? They want special treatment. They want privilege. They're not going to find it with me. So that hurts me. Right? So in some ways, I am very old school. In some ways, I've conceded. I know it's hurt me a lot financially over the years because some things I'm not willing to concede and I never will. I'll go broke before I concede on some of these things. And but you know it's it's super hard man like i i'm thinking about bringing back a practice once a week where we 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 we, we train with mild strikes but i can almost guarantee it's not gonna be popular you know the second just when i talk about these things at seminars people look at me like i'm crazy like just, just talking about scares really? me. You know what getting hit you know? and i'm like so what no one's that, watch these guys in the ufc they get knocked out repeatedly they're still walking like it's, it's not like you're gonna you kick, leg in the kick a, a, a kick to the leg or a punch to the body is not gonna kill anyone, man. It's not that bad. But people have these. But mm-hmm. how are you gonna tell a mom that or a guy who works as an attorney all day from nine to five and he comes home to the gym and he wants to have a good role and have some fun, and all of a sudden he's getting hit in the head? You know, it's not for everyone. But I don't think there's a way around it, man. Like I've, I've given this much thought. I was like, I don't think you can solve this this pickle. The best is just to live the moment and like maybe. There's a part of me that even like wonders why I even wrote that book. Like, dude, like you're not going to change anything. Like, no one's going to agree with you. Nothing's going to change. What's the point? And I'm thinking myself, well, at least I'm bearing witness. I, you know, 50 years from now, if someone wants to understand what's happening, I think my book gives a pretty good description of what has changed in jujitsu from then to now. So at least that much, I think I've contributed. But I, I'm, I have very serious doubts if you can ever make make jujitsu the, the 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 most efficient martial art in the world. You know, I, I think that that we've lost that a long time ago, and I don't think we'll never regain it. Well, on that note, yeah, <laughs> I guess you got to get some lunch. Hopefully, there's some acai somewhere. I have a freezer full of acai, man. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> or back then you couldn't even get it in Brazil. Now it's everywhere. When I started finding it in Target, I lost my mind. Yeah. I was, this is great. <laughs> well, thank you for being on. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, man. I no, thank you for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, hope you, uh, hope uh, you guys listening enjoyed. And again, I hope I didn't offend anyone. I tend to speak my mind. Nah, nah, you're okay. No, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Well, until next time, uh, my friend. See you next time. Yep. See ya. See ya. Bye. Okay. All right. So, closing thoughts, my friend. That was great. That was awesome. Keep your coffee regular, people. Yeah, peace in. <laughs>